What's up, guys? This week on the podcast, we sit down and talk to our new friend, John Fitzgerald. John Fitzgerald is Ireland's premier equine artist. Really, really interesting conversation that we had with him about lifestyle design. Sometimes we kind of focus too much on the business side of things, um, but this time we really dug into what it's like to be an artist the day to day, how he went from owning his own um, uh, real estate broking company um, to becoming a full time artist what that leap was like, what triggered that leap. Um, really interesting conversation. Anyone out there who is that has a passion that they have on the side, that they one day want to turn into a full-time career, this is one that's going to really going to speak to you, I think. Um, if you'd like to learn more about uh, about John, uh, we'll put some no- links in the show notes. Um, but we love his art. We think this is a really interesting story. He has a great message for people and um, just a really uh, great chat that we had. So without further ado, I'm going to kick it over to the guys in studio. Welcome to the Shark Pod, the podcast that explores business and lifestyle design in Ireland and beyond. And now, live from Greystone Studios, here are your hosts, Luke Curry and Mark Baker. What is up, Shark Nation? Welcome to another episode of the Shark Pod Live from Greystone Studios. Today, our guest is John Fitzgerald, uh, equine artist um, and uh, also uh, e-com magnate, as we were just talking about just before we uh, we started this. How are you doing, John? Very good. Very good. Thanks for having me. Great. We've got Mark Baker out there, as usual, out there in, uh, in Glen Aguirre. How are you doing, Mark Baker? Good, Luke. Good to have you, John. Welcome. Thanks very much, Mark. Good to be here. So, the John, we like like we were talking about just before we came on here. We like to have a chat with people about you know that have kind of different lifestyles, different type of um, making a living, uh, whether that be through uh, you know starting businesses um, or just you know following their passion and stuff like that. So we'd love to have a chat mm. with you about that, about the art sure, business, yeah. about how what it's like to kind of live this life. Because I think there's a lot of people out there that maybe have been thinking about being an artist for 10 15 years but haven't taken yeah. the plunge yet so we might give them a, a little sneak peek into what's going on there um and i know that mark baker uh you know he has a huge interest in this obviously because of uh, his mm. background um so mm. mark where did you come across uh, john's work first do you remember where well, you john is a, isn't probably one of the the best in I'll say one of the best uh, equine artists in the world. I'll say John. Um, so I would have would have known John's work uh, over the years. But act, we actually met in the convention center two years ago. We were just talking about it off air. Um, yeah. There was a goal, an exhibition for the goal charity, all these globes. Do you remember them, Luke? Luke you were there actually. Yeah. I don't yeah. know if you actually you might have met each other maybe from a distance. I don't know if you see. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. Gone by then. Yeah. Um, so that's where I actually met. John first and we had a chat and we kind of clicked and and Hmm. he told me that uh, about you know that you're in real estate for you had your own business uh, Hmm. for a long time and then you had kind of sold up and moved on to become a a full-time artist and I was just thinking yeah you're living living my uh, my dream John so I tried to get as much information out of him as possible yeah but I I suppose it kind of happened yeah I, I my background was product design. Um, I went to college um, and I did product design um, for the guts of four years back in the the, the, ni- the 90s, um, the mid-90s. And 
you know, there wasn't a huge amount of product design. It was kind of a, only coming along at the time, you know, design was, you know, CAD, CAD-based design at the time. Um, and we did a lot of model making and clay model making and uh, foam making. And I finished off in university in Wales. I was in Swansea. And um, I was halfway through a very, very good degree that I battled hard to get into in the first place. And by hook up by crook, I came home just before Christmas and uh, I didn't finish it out. I wanted to get home and start earning money and I wanted to paint. Um, I had enough of college life. I was three years already in Letterkenny where I qualified from there. And uh, I decided I was going to make a go of it, maybe with the art or maybe with some other business venture. I wasn't too sure. Um, but when I came home from um, Wales, my realisation of the design world in Ireland was very small. It was very limited. There was one or two companies in Ireland who uh, who, would, who were doing product design or industrial design, as it's called. So uh, I came home and I got a job working in a clothes shop. Uh, that was my first um, road into selling, if you like, you know, straight from college, straight into uh, Monaghan's menswear in the Royal Hibernian Way in Dublin. Nice. Um, <laughs> Fantastic job. I had a time in my life, a uh, couple of years in Dublin City, um, and I had, a, I had a blast. I was in my very early 20s, and um, life was good. And uh, I actually went down then, Mark, and I did a bit of recruitment. Um, yeah, for a year. Uh, a guy who used to uh, who used to buy suits in the shop in Monaghan um, offered me a job. One day I was selling him a suit, and he offered me a job in his consultancy, and I took it. And... Uh, before I knew it, I was working for him. And then the property thing was starting to come along in Ireland. And uh, this was kind of 1998, nine, yeah, 1998. And uh, we kind of looked at maybe setting up a kind of a property thing or, you know, could I do a state agency or was this on the on the card? So I decided I'd, I'd go and look for a job in real estate. So I, I got a job um, in uh, an office in Clondalkin as a junior estate agent, if you like, with no qualifications, no background, nothing. And uh, within a couple of years, I went and I studied and I got my uh, diploma in property and uh, valuations. And before I knew it, I was in the evening time painting pictures at home and the daytime working six, seven days a week, viewing properties all over West Dublin. And... Um, in the background, there was always paintings in my, I moved back home. I was living at home after college. And uh, I, I was always, I had a little room, which used to be our TV room when we were kids. And I changed that into a little studio. So I was kind of tipping away at a few paintings every, every night, uh, selling the paintings um, in a local flower shop in Maynooth, uh, which is about five miles away from me here in County Mead. And uh, that's where it kind of started when I was, quite young, like, you know, in my early 20s. And I had sold a few paintings in that flower shop when I was quite young, you know, in my teens. And I went back there and said, do you want any paintings of flowers or whatever, you know? And that's where it started. That's where the art kind of started. And the estate agency um, kicked in before I knew it. Um, myself and my father. My father was a valuer back in the kind of 70s and 80s. And he had um, a business in Dublin, uh, well-known business called Quinn's Off-License in Drumcondra, which is beside Quinn's Pub. So like on All-Ireland Final Day, it was a very busy place, as you can imagine. Yeah. And uh, when he saw me doing well in the estate agency, he sold his business 
in uh, in town and uh, we went on and set up our own business. I was 22 at the time, 21, and uh, we opened two, two offices. And it, it happened so fast that literally 20 years passed of estate agency, valuation, whatever you want to call it, and art was in the background all the time. The whole time. It, it seems time. like there's a lot of this is you're going through these these uh these changes very quickly as well. You're in Swansea, you come back, you're selling suits. I think it's interesting yeah. that you said that, that you really enjoyed that. That might have been one of your favorite jobs. Yeah. You know, Mark Best job. Yeah. It's brilliant. Yeah. My, yeah. Or my uh my wife makes fun of me because I always say that uh this is gonna sound ridiculous because I've got a I've got a great job. I work for one like a big American tech company, you know. Yeah. It's great, interesting. Um still yeah. Uh, my favorite job was uh, working in Sally Noggin in the uh, in Power City. I was working in the uh, in the warehouse with all my friends, yeah. um, and I was about seventeen. And it was just the ease. Yeah. I used to like we used to have penalty shootouts in the back. It was a, it was, <laughs> like it was, and you wouldn't yeah, have yeah. talked to any customers or anything. And it was just, yeah. I, I think there was a World Cup on or or a European finals, and we just set up one of the big TVs in the back. It was just an amazing time, like and uh, no see, no like you, you responsibility. <laughs> It was just that was uh, the key. Yeah, it was great. We just it was one of you know, it was I thought it was there for about a year. It was great. Anyway, I, I digress. Yeah. Um so you're this is all happened very quickly. Your mm. your dad's selling the, the place out in Quinns. I know that uh, that area quite well. My wife went to college there as a, as a teacher, so it's uh that's the, the yeah, kind of teacher's St. Patrick's there opposite Clonliffe Road, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah. So he saw that and then two offices very quickly, you're twenty one, twenty two. And you think yeah, I, I be... was going between an office in Clondalkin, uh, which was um, which I was working for another guy at the time, um, and we were we were kind of I was traveling between Clondalkin, uh, Minute, Clonee. We we opened our office in Clonee, uh, which bizarrely uh, we officially opened the office in Clonee on September the eleventh, two thousand and one, which was probably the worst day in history for so many people. Yeah, and. You probably couldn't have opened uh, a business on a worse day, because I remember at the time my, my mother um, she came back to the workplace and she she looked after our office, and we had another girl, Gillian, who worked with us as well. And um, I remember coming into the office on the first day, literally from uh, Clondalk, and I came over that morning, and uh, we had just been, you know looking after the place and tidying it up for our first day of business in, in Clonee. And I remember looking at the, the, the news at half nine in the back in the, the back room and planes had crashed into the World Trade Centres. And here we were going off in this venture of real estate. And I mean, literally, the phones didn't ring for six months. My God. And uh, we, we really had to kind of think fast. Luckily enough, I think February 2002, uh, things kicked back in again. Okay. And the economies around the world slowly and surely started to uh, to to recover. But for that period, um, I can I had a few sleepless nights. I can tell you that. But I I painted it. It was funny in Clondalkin when we had the office. Um, I opened a little art gallery in the office in the boardroom, which was never used. Nice. And uh, clients used to come in, and I used to sell art. And I used I remember in that little recession in two thousand one. Um, I was selling a couple of paintings away in the background, even though the kind of day job was quiet. I was just tipping away at a couple of little sales here and there um, and trying to paint horses, which at the time was 
ridiculous idea to try and paint horses <laughs> for whatever reason. But the I, I always remember that little gallery I had was probably one of the first times I realised, God, I could do this maybe if if I had a, an opportunity somewhere along the line. But that I, I knew it had to present itself at the right place at the right time when I was completely ready. And, so, and John, John, did you think that that kind of gave you um, the edge is the wrong word, but like Mark, you were saying this, like sometimes with, with customers, they kind of remember your recruitment business because you're the, you're the, the painter guy as well. Is there, do you know what I mean? So it just makes it a little mm. bit different. I wonder, was there any kind of shine off the, having that art thing while people are waiting to, to meet with you, they can have a, a look at the, the gallery that's going on or something different? You know? uh, no, I, it was kind of different because with, with property and real estate, you're kind of, you're out of your office more than you're in it. You're, you're working after hours. You're kind of, you, you, for a lot of estate agents, their job, you know, their work starts at half five in the evening. Mm. And in the summertime, you can be out viewing houses, you know, up until half eight, nine o'clock six days a week if, if, if you choose yeah. and then if you show houses at the weekends with different developments and that type of thing so it really was a, a period of um, a lot of work um, really intense um, it was relentless because things just built up so much momentum um, over the years in, in property as, as everyone knows in Ireland um, and we also know what happened because it built up too much momentum and sure. too fast um, and that's another story, uh, what happened in, in 06, 07 with our office too. So, um, But I think, yeah, I, I think the the art and the estate agency for me, um, I didn't combine them in any way. It was just that I had had the office and my art was on the wall. So it was an opportunity to sell some work. But it never really crossed over too much and in the sense. I, th- I think when people like artists usually they get into art and passionate about art from a young age and it's mm. so rewarding in so many ways that it becomes an obsession. What yeah. was it? An, was it an obsession for you? And did you have to pull yourself away from that obsession to actually kind of ground yourself and, and get a real job type of thing? And, you know, or yeah. do you think if you had a kind of overly focused on the art from, from it too young, almost it wouldn't have worked out in the long run. Yeah, possibly because, I, I went into it, if you like, professionally at kind of, you know, 38, 39. Um, I had been doing it all the time from the age of maybe 12 or 13. I'd been painting, I'd been drawing, I'd been, you know, right through school, uh, you know, junior cert, leaving cert, art was, you know, I could get an A in art. That's the one subject I was guaranteed I was going to do okay in. Um, but I think the the reality was, if yeah maybe Mark if I started at straight into art college straight out to become an artist professionally I don't think I knew enough about myself back then I don't think I was um, grounded enough back then um, I was a scatty 21 year old um, you know having the crack with his mates going off on holidays and and, and doing things and whatever but it, it's I probably wasn't ready for it because it's it's quite a serious job when you when you get into it as you know, it takes a lot of energy. Uh, it, it burns up a lot of energy. It, burn, it takes up a lot of your mind space. Um, and I was carrying the can of two jobs, really, when, when it became, when my art started to become popular from, you know, 06, 07, 08 onwards, I really was looking at juggling uh, a lot of stuff in my life. And um, I was probably starting to pay the price. Uh, 
uh, with my health maybe a little bit and not looking after myself. And as I spoke earlier about like real estate back then was seven days a week. It was it was constant. It never there was no level. Was it was it an enjoyable job? I don't, it seems like it's a lot of late nights and weekends and stuff like that. Was it yeah. worth, was it worth it? Or did you get kind of a buzz closing? Yeah, those? I did. Yeah. I did because it was, it was enjoyable. It was rewarding, and um, we ran our own business, and it, and it was a family based business, so it was kind of nice. I was working with my parents, and mm-hmm. um, we had other people in our offices as well who we worked with, and we had a great team. We had a fantastic team of people in Ratoth where we had a financial company who took part of our office. Um, great guy, Derek McGuire, still a very good friend of mine. Um, you know, he's he's one of the top financial guys in the country, a broker, and he was in the office with us for a long time and we kind of became a bit of a family hmm. and we became uh, a really close unit. We got on really well and I suppose everyone gelled well and time went by so fast, probably because of that. Everyone was busy at the time, but you know, things changed very quick in 07. Um, yeah. Very quick. <laughs> bring it, bring us back to 07 then John, if you, if you can stomach it. Um, yeah, I, I remember 07, you know, things were good. I was married at this stage. Um, I had uh, moved out to County Mead, a little village called Kilcloon in County Mead, where I grew up. Um, we had the offices running uh, 07. Things were starting to flicker a bit in 06. You could see the cracks were coming. Um, there was people were buying a lot of stuff. There was um, stuff was kind of reaching a level where, you know, land values had reached a point where it was a million an acre plus for land um it was it was getting crazy and then i remember february 2007 i can remember being in the office in retote and we had we opened that office in 2004 and uh this was our second office so we were carrying two Hmm. two two offices two sets of staff and um I remember looking at Derek in the office one day in February. This always stands out to me. And I spoke to um, a group of uh, six-class school kids last year about this story of how to be prepared for stuff that you're never, you know, always be prepared for for stuff that you can't um, be sure is going to happen or, you know, you know, unexpected stuff happens all the time in life. And I don't think we were prepared for this because um, it had gone as I said, from, you know, 98, 99, 2000, 2001, World Trade Center, stuff happens, massive downturn for six months to a year, then momentum built up again, then crash, 07, February 07. And myself and Derek looked at each other in the office and I remember just saying to each other, phones haven't rang in like a week. Like stuff has really gone quiet here. And, and it just went like that. It fell off a cliff. Within six weeks, uh, we had closed our office in Clonee. I had unfortunately had to make a tough decision and let go of people who had worked with us for quite a period. And we kept the office in retort. And we 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 cut back literally to myself, my mother and my father. Wow. Uh, and that was it. And I was lucky my wife at the time had a full-time job. Um, and I had no income stream. So we decided very quickly to... We didn't take any commissions from the office. We didn't take... Um, our weekly salary or our monthly salary as we used to have um, it suddenly stopped and I can remember um, having a conversation with my father and uh, our accountant and uh, 
it was a tough, I'll, I'll always remember that night because um, it, it was all of a sudden, this isn't happening anymore. The reality really dawned on us that this business, it's in trouble. Um, the property market had crashed, the bank system had crashed. Um, and before we knew it, we, we were really on our hands and knees and I had to think very, very fast. And I started painting cows. Um, I started painting cows on slate, just try to be quintessentially Irish and unique. Um, I started painting big paintings of cattle, whatever, horses. Um, I'd always drawn horses and I'd always painted horses, but not really good at the time. Um, so I was never kind of ready to go there with the horses until I kind of had them, uh, not perfected, but until I could paint them. Um, so I started going back into the art and I could see myself in 07 uh, spending a couple of days at home. I converted my uh, garage outside, uh, part of it into a small studio and uh, in the freezing cold of the winter times and I just started working away. And I even started going to uh, antiques and fine art fairs up and down the country, loading up the Jeep, heading off, not knowing what I was doing, setting up art, like literally willy-nilly around the country in different hotels with antiques. I think I was the only artist actually at the time doing this art with the antiques. Um, but I did this for a couple of years because the crash lasted, you know, in me, I know in Dublin, the crash maybe was a bit later and it, it was more sustainable because Dublin, you know, kind of sustains itself when, when things go a bit pear-shaped in markets because it's a big, you have a million people and it's uh, in, maybe in a little sense, it's a micro market. Whereas the countryside, we found ourselves, we, we got so quiet so fast that I had to di diversify and art was the first thing that... Uh, it's a very, very unique uh, reaction to have when things are going wrong to sit mm -hmm. down and paint. That's something yeah. that I can relate to, John, I, but maybe not yeah. a lot of people can. I can't, I but can't. it sounds, I do that. I have done that in the past. When, yeah. when shit was in the fan, I go, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paint. And it's, yeah. it works on two levels. It'll, it'll make you money, but it's also uh, it's good, for your, good for the head as well. It's good for your head, yeah. And it's, I found that primarily when I, when I went back painting, um, kind of 07, um, I, I kind of really, I knew there was another side happening with the business that was on its hands and knees and we were struggling, you know. Um, but I think the fact that we didn't really take anything from the business. We kept the business alive and we kept the business going. And then I found myself in this kind of weird situation where all of a sudden my phone was ringing from the art point of view. And I had gone out to a couple of shows. Uh, I remember being at an antiques and fine art fair in Dunleary at the, the lovely hotel overlooking the, the sea in, in Dunleary. And uh, yeah, the Royal Marine. Yeah. And uh, I remember having a painting of a horse's eye and I think this could have been around 08, 09, I'm not sure. But I remember it, I said, right, I'm going to have to try and get, I'd love to get, um, this is a big painting. Would I get a thousand euros for this painting? I was thinking, Jesus, I'm never going to get a thousand euros, you know. Um, and I had, I think, 850 or 900 in my mind. And a guy came up to me and he just looked at the painting and he fell in love with it. And I had no prices on it. And I just said, it's a thousand euros. And he said, I'll take it. And I remember coming home and I remember at the time, um, my dad 
I, I rang my dad and says, you're not going to believe it. I sold a painting for a thousand quid. And he went, what? You're joking. I said, I'm not joking. And he thought this was amazing. You know, he said, geez, if you can do that, you have to maybe look at this, you know. He said, you have to kind of maybe think seriously about this because, you know, to take a thousand euros from the property business at the time wasn't a runner because yeah. it wasn't there to take. And uh, we were trying to keep the thing alive without, you know, taking from it. So I just kind of built up a bit of momentum with this and I really uh, submerged myself with art again. I went back to NCAD. Um, I enrolled in NCAD to do uh, two nights a week for, I think it was two years I did fine art. I went back just to hone hone in on my skills of painting. Literally, I wanted to go back to college again and I was whatever age, I was 33, I think, or 34. And I wanted to go back and be with artists again and be in that environment where I knew it would nurture me. There was a recession, but this was something positive and this was something creative and this was something I could do. No matter how bad the property market was, I knew I could still paint. Nobody could take that away from me. And this was a chance for me to maybe improve. Uh, I could draw, I could do different things like that, but I wanted to learn, you know, how do you paint a sky, like a proper sky? How do you paint, you know, grass, trees? How do you paint a moving object? Things like that. So I, I decided very quickly to go back to NCAD. And I got into NCAD for a couple of nights a week for two years, probably the best move I made because I learned an awful lot of stuff and met a couple of fantastic lecturers where I learned a lot of techniques from them, you know, directly and uh, watching other artists uh, working and even just young students who came in, uh, just who wanted to study art just for the sake of it. Uh, you, you learn so much off them as well because they came with a, uh, with no inhibitions and no, uh, if you like, no, um, nobody had any agenda. It was just art. And I think that's why I loved it because in the background was ca- the chaos of, Celtic Tiger had gone running away on us and uh, we were all trying to figure it out. And I was no different to anybody at the time who was um, either let go from their job or was in the banking system or was in working for, with a construction firm. Like, I don't know, the generation that's out there now, people who are in their 30s or even younger, that how it was quite bad for a long period of years, for, from 06 to 2011, 2012. We, we had a tough time. It's we've got a lot of international listeners as well, and just put that in, in context. Like, I was in, I was in college, or I, I was in the, this year where I I didn't really go to college. I worked full time, but mm. uh, it kind of oh seven, yeah, I was in college, and I was saying I was thinking, surely to God this will be. Oh, thank God I'm in college. It's kind of like shielding me, you know. And yeah, then absolutely. You know, in three years' time, we'll be back, you know. And then yeah. uh, college ended. None of my friends had jobs leaving college, and it was still that was. Yeah. That was the, that was probably 2011 or something. So in Ireland, yeah. we had a, a prolonged contraction because of complications with banking and stuff like that. And I Absolutely. think in England or we've got a lot of listeners in America, they kind of had a, a, a quicker bounce, uh, let's say. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's a, it's a very interesting thing. So when we're talking about this, this is, is not just like a, a regular uh, recession. It was, you know. 16% unemployment um, yeah, for a prolonged Yeah, it was huge. Time, yeah. yeah, like they haven't seen numbers of unemployment since the, you know, since the 80s, 70s and 80s. Yeah. Um, where, you know, where a lot of people had to go to England, America, they emigrated to get work. And we, we saw that happening again with the, your, your generation where you, where you saw, you came out of college and you had nowhere to go. There was no, yeah. 
financial you know institutions taking people on as such there was no businesses there was no developers weren't really up and running at the time and there was a lot of debt the country had a lot of debt so we were kind of trying to to figure it out um and i feel and i feel kind of uh, sorry for the the guys that are are coming out now with the, mm. the pandemic stuff because we all mm. went so me and almost everyone i know went to canada for a couple of years uh yeah. at the time and it was great you know we, it was kind of sad to go but it was a bit of an adventure got some good experience over there came back and kind of it makes it easier once you get a bit of a start it's you know, when you leave college you don't know really what what you want to do you're kind of mm. you're kind of uh, someone has to do you a favor to really uh to get you going you know and, uh, absolutely yeah yeah and i think there but, this year might be a little bit similar for the guys leaving college you know uh, yeah, I think it's, look, I, I, I have a lot of empathy for people now, uh, you know, across the board with, with work, with, you know, the situation we're in now. Um, a lot of people out of work. A lot of people can't work. A lot of people can't get to work. A lot of people are working from home. Um, some people are adapting to work working from home uh, because it's become the new. And human beings are fantastic because we do adapt. And it's amazing, you know, you think when something like this happens, you know, a pandemic, it sometimes can take a pandemic to, uh, to show you serious resolve um, that you might not have thought you had um, because, you know, to adapt is something we all have to learn to do with this. And we possibly will have to live with it for another um, six months or so. We don't know. Like this thing could disappear as quickly as it appeared. Um, why it's here, we don't know. There's no point questioning why it's here. It's just, we now have to adapt and do the right things, you know. And you've you've been through a couple of downturns, maybe two or yeah. three at this stage. John. Two, definitely, yeah. Nobody likes to give advice to people or be condescending, but like mm. if you had to give advice to people who are kind of struggling and have been affected more than someone else, maybe what mm. any anything that you could advice you could give people? Yeah, I think um I think at the moment the way things are, you see people are put into a position where, number one, we have to be, remain at home, which isn't normal for human beings. It's not normal for us to stay uh, in one place. We're, we're social beings. We like to interact with people. We like to shake people's hands. We like to hug people. Um, so I think the, the most important thing I've learned, if I can give any of this advice to anybody listening to this, um, is if you can learn to sit with yourself in a room, in a studio, in an office system or in a, a home office system and just know that it's okay. Not to question it too much, not to try and f figure it out too much, just to go with the flow of what it is, I think is really important because I know that's okay for me to say I'm working at home pretty much all the time as a, you know, as a solitude person like you know it's like Mark when you're in the studio you're on your own and that's the way you have to be um, but for people who have all of a sudden been in an office with maybe five six hundred people working around them you know imagine that the noise in the morning in an office system in Dublin City or wherever you're working and you've got an office of three four five hundred people and the energy in that office and the vibrancy at lunchtime and the chaos of Dublin City at lunchtime trying to get a coffee trying to get a bag trying to do whatever and all of a sudden that's taken away from you and you're sitting at home in an office and you're looking out the window and you're going, what is going on here? My advice to people is at the minute, if this is any help, and I, it's helped me, is try and keep active every day. 
for maybe 15 or 20 minutes every day. First thing in the morning, if you get up, maybe set your alarm clock half an hour earlier and spend that time doing a bit of exercise. Maybe drink a bit more water than you normally do. And maybe do a little bit of mindfulness or meditation, which for a lot of people, they don't understand it. They don't know what it is. A lot of people are doing it now. It's a buzzword. People are, but I've discovered it. It's something I do. It's something um, I make time for myself every morning. Um, I have a ritual I do, and it, I've done it for five, six years. And it's helped me now. So it's something that's kind of, I would have put into place maybe going back four, five, six years ago. And it's that spending time with yourself where there's nothing happening and there's no noise that it's okay to sit there and just daydream for maybe half an hour. I know we all have to work and we're all doing our day jobs from at home, but I still think if people are struggling with that, I think the best thing to do is, is spend time on yourself, work on yourself, exercise the body. The body is the, you know, I remember listening to the guys, uh, I think it was a, a podcast of somebody I was listening to. And the question was asked, what's, one of our most primitive needs. And I first thought maybe water and food. And the, they said our primitive need is movement. Movement is the first thing we need before we can get water or before we get food. You go back to millions and millions of years ago, you know, if you go back to cavemen and whatnot and they were living and, the, you know, they had to go and run and forage for food before they could survive. So nearly we're kind of going back to this strange reality of uh, we're being with ourselves more than we've ever been. And that's why I think people might struggle uh, with the mental side of things because there's so much solitude uh, and we've been taken away from uh, people and we need people and people are great for propping us up and for patting you on the back. But now you have to kind of, pat yourself on the back and it's okay to be okay. And it's okay to have a bad day as well. That's really important. People forget that. If you're having a bad day, I think it's okay to have a bad day. It's okay to ring your mate and say, do you know what, Mick, I'm having a bad day today. Because it's really important. You reach out to people. You phone a friend every day and just talk. Talk rubbish for three minutes if you have to, but it's just that whole connectivity thing where we're not connected with each other. It's just to reach out and just... If you're having, I always say to anybody, if they're having a bad day, acknowledge, yeah, today isn't a good day. Could be for whatever reason. Could be through, you know, you've you've gone through a bad period, you've gone through a tough period of work, you've gone through a, a tough period of whatever it could be. But just to to acknowledge it is the first thing, you know. And I really like the idea of reaching out to people and calling them rather than just a WhatsApp messaging. Mm. Sometimes WhatsApp messaging can Absolutely. be a little bit kind of like just kind of touching base, but. Like I've I've started just to cold call my friends, uh, you know, in the evening to see I was yeah. you know checking in on people, um, and it's funny we were laughing one of my friends uh, the other day because it was <clears throat> the first weekend of the kind of re lockdown in Dublin, uh, so I guess a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we were talking. I was just say, you know, we usually start off with any 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 news, anything strange, and uh, obviously yeah. there's no news or anything gossip or yeah. anything because nothing's happening. Right? So we kind of got yeah. that. We acknowledged that early, got that out of the way. Uh, and yeah. then just whatever talked the rubbish for a half an hour on, you know, current events or conspiracy theory, anything, just uh, you know, whatever was on. It's just that, it's that connectivity <laughs> again, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah, I, 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 th- I, really I think a lot of people struggle with the fact that 
there's a lot of uncontrollables out there and there's nothing you can do about that. So uh, I like yeah. the, the, the message or the saying, control your controllables. And that's kind yes. of goes back to what you're saying. You can control all these simple things. Yeah. Um, so this is going to be a real, just to go back to, to mm. NCAD, just going to really ask yeah. this question, but of course, uh, yeah. what did you, what are the kind of main things you learned there that made you like a better painter? I think I learned um, to, you see, I think when you become an artist, you, you might have this illusion or this um, mindset of what you're doing. Um, you have to be critical as an artist, self-critical. You have to be aware of, um, you know, I suppose where you want to be as an artist. Um, I had a not a goal, not so much a goal, but I had this... I would just love to be able to be um, really good at this in whatever form I can I can do it in, whether it be uh, whatever medium. I just knew I loved horses anyway, so it, it was always a struggle to paint the horse properly. It's it's always going to be a struggle to paint anything because the day you think you have it nailed, Mark, as you know, is I don't know. I think. I don't think we'll ever have it nailed because no. it's it's so important to try new things, to learn from different artists, to not to copy, but to learn, to look at their, their methods, to look at what paint they use, to look at what mediums they use, to look at what brushes, you know, where do you buy your brushes? Where do you, where do you buy that easel? Um, and for me, I knew I could draw, but I, I couldn't, I wasn't a good colorist, if, if that's, and that's one thing I learned in uh, in college. Uh, when I did product design, I was taught how to render drawings and how to draw freehand. That was a fantastic thing that I learned when I was in college. And I learned how to um, model in clay, which is standing to me now with the new venture I'm doing. But the I think the one thing I learned, uh, Mark, you're not... Um, if you think you're, you're good at it, there's always somebody better. There's always going to be somebody better. And that's, that's just life. But you have to push yourself to be as good as them or you have to push yourself to be as good as you can be. Um, if you're happy to be at a level, that's fine too. For different people, we all have different expectations. But when I realized I could draw well and I could start to paint well, and I did a horse for a friend of... Uh, a friend of our family's uh, going back years ago. And I remember a friend of mine turned around to me and says, that's really good, John. He says, you, you might be able to do the horse really well, you know? And that's when I kind of went back to college and says, you know what, I'm going to give this a good lash and I'm going to try and learn as much as I can about artists, about equine artists, about everything I could teach myself, Mark. I tried to do it over the last 10 years. When the downturn came, it was my chance to just go right, armbands off, jump in. Um, and that's li literally what I did. I slowly started getting commissions. I slowly, very slowly, and I'd be, you know, it took me a long time um, to try and get to where I am now. I'm still on that journey. I'm not, I'm by no, by no means the complete article. I don't think any artist is because it's a journey. It's, it's a, you know, until the day is stopped, you put down that brush and you can't paint anymore. God forbid, it's many, many years away. Yeah. But, you know, I was reading a great bit about Soraya 
the fantastic artist from Spain, you know, the master of light, he was known as. And for any artist listening to this, Soraya was just fantastic. Um, and there's a sad bit in one of his books where, you know, he had a stroke. And there's a photograph of him in his garden, I think it's around 1930, 1920s, 1930s. And he's just sitting there immobilized, not able to work. And I could really feel for the guy because his whole life was art. He had studied so much, he had learned so much, he had worked with so many artists all his life. And then boom, all of a sudden, it was taken away from him. And that's why I think every day we get up, it's a privilege to do what I do. Like, I mean, it's an absolute privilege. I'm blessed to come into my studio every day um, and I'm still learning, Mark. I'm still learning every day. Yeah. I, I, it's like a musician sitting down and going, right, after this song, like, this is the best song in the world. I'm done. That, yeah. that doesn't happen. And it's the no. same with an artist. And you also never hear an artist say, you know, I'm going to retire when I'm, when I'm 65. Yeah. I can't wait for it. It's yeah. like, you, you'd have to physically force me to retire, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I think, like, one of our oldest artists, um, and I love her work, um, was Gladys McCabe from up in uh, up the north. She she was painting until she was in her late nineties. She died last year, I think, at age hundred. I'd be corrected on that, but yeah, um, lovely artist. She used to paint horses and fairs, you know, lovely little scenes, and uh, she was painting right up until the end. And she lived to yeah. be hundred. Wow! You know? Wow! And That's she nice. was Irish. She was great. Um, to to go back to the the equine art, like people, mm. sometimes people say to me, like, oh, like would you be able to do a great painting of whatever horse it is? Now I'm not into the horse mm. scene, so I wouldn't know, you know, to who's who. Yeah. But to me, it's just like, because what I do is portraits and, and people and the skin tones and, you yeah. know, facial expressions and stuff. I just say it's, it's almost like learning a new language. I can't just dip in to, to mm. do that, but just out of interest, what are the key mm. aspects? If, if people are looking to, to paint horses or other animals, what are the kind of key aspects that they, they have to focus on? First of all, like you have to, I I didn't directly come from an, from an equine background. Mm. My father was hugely into horse racing. Um, I wanted to be a jockey when I was young. That was one of my goals. Was I, I, I was always going horse racing with my dad from a very, very young age. Um, and I would have been sitting in weigh rooms and looking at jockeys and the silks and the shiny leather boots and the smell of the the Jackie's valets when they're, you know, waxing up their boots. And I can remember that I can still, you know, that's a, a clear, vivid memory for me as a kid. Um, so at that point, Mark, to, to paint the horse, to answer your question, all of that information is in my head. Standing at fences when I was a young fella, 15, 16 years of age, over at Ferry House Racecourse, watching horses jumping um, fences at, 40 miles an hour um, listening to that noise of the birch, you know, when horses kind of jump over the top of it. All of that has been ingrained in my head for like 20 years. And then I started going around to, to yards around my area here, different yards. Um, and I'd be sketching, looking at horses, sketching horses, um, watching them moving. Looking, bringing the sketch pad with me to, to horse races and standing on the sideline with my, you know, with my, not the sideline, but on the side of the track with my camera in one hand, my sketch pad here, trying to get a quick picture of a horse jumping a fence and then trying to sketch something really fast of that moment. 
And like people will know me from horse racing now because I'm, they would have seen me at the Curra race course or they would have seen me at Leopardstown or Fairy House painting or sketching, with, you know, and it's taken me so many years to try and I'm still, I still go around with my sketchpad. I still go to race meetings um, or I did up until um, March of this year um, with my sketchpad and with my camera um, trying to see, can I, you know, can I sketch something different? Can I get a new angle on this here? You know, can I come up with some new idea of a horse jumping a fence or can I try and, you know, mix up different colours or try a new medium here doing this or so to, if somebody wants to paint a horse, first of all, you got to go and meet the horse, feel the horse, see the horse, you know, literally understand how a horse walks, how a horse looks, uh, the noises, the horse racing scene is a whole different scene where you have so much colour and atmosphere at the races and so many characters, like it's vibrant, it's fantastic. And that's all part of my paintings and part of the studies and sketches I do. And I think, Mark, to be honest with you, um, sketching, drawing, you know, freehand, looking at looking at a subject and trying to take it down and you have one eye on your um, sketchbook and you have one eye on your subject and it looks wrong and you're criticising yourself and you're going, what is this I'm doing? And all of a sudden it starts to come to shape when you get back to your studio and you go, God, yeah, that, that could be something, you know? So yeah. it's trying to, it's trying to perfect that um trying to perfect the the impossible really because it doesn't make the perfection I don't think exists in art really. It's sometimes there's more beauty in the imperfection or the the bits people don't see. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. It's trying to just practice, practice, practice. It's relentless. It's re- like people, if they knew the hours I put into the studio early mornings, uh Going back 15 years, like, I mean, sketchbook after sketchbook after book after book, it's constant. Joe, I have a, I have a quote here in front of me on a, on a mm. whiteboard from Michelangelo. It says, if people knew how hard I worked to achieve mastery, it wouldn't seem so wonderful at all. <laughs> makes sense. Very good. It? Absolutely. <laughs> it yeah, it's very good. It's very good. Just, you mentioned something at the start is, is you, you were kind of, you've been around it from a young age so essentially yeah. the question shouldn't be how do i draw horses how do i paint horses it should be mm. what makes you tick what what gets you going and that'll mm. that'll be the thing when you find that and that's a big question mm. for artists who are actually yeah. technically good or, or you know yeah. somewhat good technically they'll be like well what is my thing yeah and i think that's important to actually nail down i knew mine was people it was faces it was all that yeah. kind of stuff and then it just made that makes like painting the one, two in the morning. That makes it a lot easier than me yeah. trying to, trying to paint a horse that I know nothing about. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So I think that's a big thing that people should think about. What is, what is the thing that's going to keep you up till one, two in the morning painting? And it's and time is going to fly by. It's going to be a flow state. You're not even going to want to eat, no. drink, anything like that. Yeah. Day, like, you know, hours go by and before you know it, it's seven o'clock at six o'clock. Um, You've been called, you know, relentlessly to come in and sit down and have dinner with your family. And it's cold. I don't know how many evenings a week you're sitting down and you're... But I learned to stop as well. That's one thing I've learned, uh, which I would have been guilty of for many years, which is coming in, working, 
uh, coming in with the family, spending an hour and coming back to the studio. And before you know it, as you say, it's 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 lights out, it's 12 o'clock and you're falling asleep at the easel. So I've learned to stop that. Um, and I'm much more productive now with the routine I have now. Um, yeah. And that was a choice I had to make because I think rest is key. Uh, recovery is key, no matter what, if you're a sports person, if you're an artist or a business person or whatever, it's rest is very important as well, you know. Mm. We can we can burn the candle too much sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if you're obsessed with something, which they kind yeah. of go kind of goes hand in hand. Um, yeah. One thing I, I noticed as well, and it's kind of an often an elephant in the room. Like you mentioned, you you, you went back or you went to NCID. You, you mm. learned all the technical stuff. You're surrounded yourself by artists, but mm. you had something that a lot of artists really two things you need, you need real business world experience, but mm. a lot of artists don't have the ability or want to sell. How important has been able to sell your work? How important has that been for you? Oh, uh, it's, look, you can kind of, art is, this is the kind of the, you know, art is a really positive thing, right? Um, I don't see any negatives in art at all, no matter what you're doing. Um, But when it becomes something that you, you know you can, it's tangible, it's real, and you get paid for it and all of a sudden you're getting commissions and you know you're getting some big commissions and it becomes well here i was at this stage mark when i had a day job and i had the art and my art was starting to take over and i used like to two horses this. in a race john absolutely it was like two horses in a race and the art was starting to take over and it was becoming commercially successful and the property market was starting to come back a bit and all of a sudden I was kind of going, God, here we go again. I was kind of, where do, what do I want to do? So I had to kind of think very quick with the art. Do I want this or do I want a bit of both? And I knew in my heart and soul, I wanted to be an artist all day, every day. I liked my day job, but I was passionate about painting. I was passionate about um, horses and animals and cattle and all nature and stuff like that. I was passionate about it. And I was just, it was just, it became a huge overwhelming thing for me to do. Uh, but unfortunately it took um, the the sudden illness of my dad in uh, 2012, um, where he passed away in 2013 at 65. Uh, he got leukemia, unfortunately, and uh, he lost the battle with cancer. And, that was my uh, realization. It took an awful tragedy in our family for uh, for me to kind of wake up and go, uh, I, I want to do this for the rest of my life. And, um, you know, the day before uh, my father died, actually, it was a Friday. And I have the quote up on, uh, on my wall here. And he rang me at four o'clock on a Friday afternoon. And uh, this was on November the 8th, 2013. And for whatever reason, I wrote down what he said to me. He rang me at about half three, four o'clock. And it was, John, all the horses are going down the lane. Are you going to paint it? Bring your camera. It would make a great painting. Right? That's the last things, last conversation we had with each other. Mm. And he died the following day at half two. He, He had a... 
after that conversation we had at half four, he had a brain hemorrhage that evening uh, at half six, seven o'clock, and he died the following day. Um, he slipped into a you know a peaceful coma, if you like, and he just passed away. And uh, they were the last words, and it was nearly like him saying to me, he was setting me on my way. You know, it was like yeah. I've I've always looked at that quote. People always read that quote when they come into my studio, and uh, I think that was my unfortunately it was. It was my dad's passing that gave me this burning fire to do what I want to do for the rest of my life, which is paint. And, you know, thank God I've never looked back. I've, I, I went for it um, and I sold my business. I sold the, the property business um, four years ago. Um, it took a long time to, for all this to happen because we were in the middle of the downturn and was starting to upturn and, I was going through, you know, the loss of my dad and dealing with all that. Um, we had young kids in the family. So, like, it was, there was a lot going on emotionally with me. So, I was really blessed that, you know, a great guy came along and I was in the right place at the, wrong t- at the right time and he, he took over my business and it enabled me to, to go and fulfill my, my dream. And really, that's, that's what happened. Um, it's, I was very lucky. It's, it's great I was unfortunate in so many ways, but lucky in, yeah. in in so many too you know it's interesting to me as well because i've talked we've talked to a few people on the, on the podcast and i was gonna one of the questions i wanted to ask was okay if you're going to, if to from being kind of a business person to an artist um is there did you set a like a goal for yourself to say okay if i get x amount of commission money in the night last six months then that will be the tipping point or something like that but we spoke mm-hmm. <laughs> we spoke to a, a good few people and uh, i remember we spoke to uh you know, one of one of Ireland's best uh, photographers we had on, and I kind of pitched a, a question like that to him as well. But it was a it was a kind of a, a burn the boat situation as well. There was no like we just went all in on it uh, instead of looking yeah. for another job, um, and that's kind of when he when he's been doing it ever since. You know, um, yeah. he's had a lot of success, but it 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 is an interesting one because I'm always. I always wanted to know what when what's the kind of trigger point to make a, a lifestyle change, you know? Mm. Um and everyone we've spoken to, it's never really been a you know, a financial one where there was a spreadsheet where you're like, Okay, this is what we're gonna do. So um yeah. very interesting to hear that story. So there's a there's yeah. a book that one of the books that we're reading at the moment, Luke, um is it How to Achieve Unreasonable Success? Yeah, by Richard Koch. Yeah. In that, he says, people who go on and do big things, important things, you know, have an impact. There's always like one life-changing event that has yeah. to kind of happen to you in order for that yeah. to happen. Yeah. And people almost get lucky, you know, in a way, if that happens to them, depending on what the event is. But it's like, right, we know this is actually this is actually a factor. So he says, to if you want to achieve a lot of success in whatever yeah. it is, you almost have to orchestrate an, an event in your life where it is moving to a certain company, getting to know a certain person, some sort of big yeah. event that will actually make you take that step to the next level. Yeah. It's um, interesting. Um, yeah. And, and what made you, sorry, just to move on to the, um, yeah. the new work that you're doing, John, and mm. the sculpting, what yeah. made you move towards that? And how are you getting on with it? Um, getting on great with it. It's, um, it's happening really quick, but I suppose that, the wheels were in motion years ago at college when I was doing the product design and I was making a lot of clay models and models out of foam and we were building 
you know, the framework of a product. If you were designing your product, you had to know how the product um, went together, was made, how the plastic molds were going to fit, how everything was going to work. So, and then your final model was made out of either clay or foam. So I was doing a lot of clay modeling, a lot of foam modeling and uh, making products. And then I did bits and pieces of little sculpting things here and there. And then back in February or March, after I came back from Cheltenham this year, um, and the lockdown kicked in around, I think, the 10th or 15th of March, uh, we had a really lovely sunny period, if you remember, from kind of March right through to June, yeah. where every day right. seemed to be just gorgeous mm-hmm. sunshine. And we had a really early summer back in April and May. And I was out in the fields behind my studio, and I brought out a bit of clay that I bought in Evans in Dublin. And I started sculpting a little cow that was sitting down around me. I was doing a bit of painting outside with with the easel and I had the clay with me as well and I just started sculpting and it kind of happened effortlessly if you know what I mean it just happened and then I went on and I did a Charlotte bull and I did a couple of horses and I've done a few other bits and pieces since and I'm launching my first bronze this week yeah. wow. which is bizarre it's happened uh, as, as fast as that but I've I've been working really hard at it in the background since kind of March, April, uh, since I started discovering the clay again. And it's just something that's come back to me. Um, I never sculpted anything really in a big way, but just in the last six months, this is something I've really, um, I've been looking at. I've been, it's obviously something I've been interested in because I've always read about sculpture. I've books about sculpture, books about anatomy, um, you know, and it's just kind of started from there. Like the sculpture is something that as an artist, it's great to be able to do, but it's, um, it's just a, a, another, I just form, see it as another form of what I'm doing, Mark, if you can understand me. It's just, mm. it's just a, tr- a, a three-dimensional form of yeah. being on canvas. And I think the fact that I was able to draw the horse and paint cattle, uh, I'm finding it okay to be able to form them in, in a kind of three-dimensional way, if you like. I'd imagine it's all the same principles involved. And, yeah, mm. it's measurements, it's mm. building up, it's light and dark, it's shade, mm. it's it's looking to see what works, what doesn't work, it's abstraction, taking away material. You know, it's like adding paint, taking away paint. So it's so far so good. It's, 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 it's great, I'm, I'm loving it. And, and is it is it a completely different business than the the art business? Is it do you have to find like a new type of gallery that would, would these you position these in, or is it something that is only starting now? How does that how does that work? Is it the same same business? Yeah, it's 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 kind of similar. Like a lot of the galleries, um, I deal with just a couple of galleries, and they they're quite happy for me to uh, supply them with some bronzes uh, as well. Okay, um, but it's. It's like I'm reselling. It's like I'm starting again as a brand new artist, um, but this time in in the doing sculpture. Um, I'm still really busy, thankfully, doing all my uh, equine stuff and paintings, and that'll never change. That's always, you know, because I'm I'm finding now, which is bizarre. Uh, I got asked to do uh, a painting of a, a bull recently, and I found a, a, a sculpture, the sculpture that I did recently of this Charlotte bull is really helping with my painting. It's actually making a better painting because I now have a model of my Charlotte bull, which is three dimensional. And I'm working from that, which is bizarre. 
but one is kind of helping the other and the business side of it um it's i i find it the same i'm marketing myself now it'll be just john fitzgerald possibly artist and sculptor or john fitzgerald artist i think yeah. it's all the one it's it's all you know if if if, if uh, an artist decides that he wants to sculpt and he's a uh, doing portraits like uh, mark it's okay he's still an artist he's still he's just dealing with another medium he's just dealing with clay as opposed to paint absolutely it's uh it's such an interesting thing especially for people who aren't our artists to sit on in on mm. these conversations has been super interesting um yeah and it seems like there's like i said it doesn't matter what you're doing as if you're kind of expressing yourself with some sort of material that's the yeah absolutely that's, that's the main thing um but we usually at this at this stage we're actually coming up on an hour, believe it or not. Time this this one has absolutely flown by. I don't know. Oh, if <laughs> but, uh, before we just sorry, Luke. Before yeah. we, we we do a kind of quick fire stuff, just where can where can people uh, see your work, John? Um, where are the base, best places? We'll we'll add some links in and stuff. But galleries, social media, website, and stuff like that. Yeah, at the moment, uh, johnfitzgeraldart.ie is my website, uh, I've my Instagram page, my Facebook page, uh, John Fitzgerald Art. Um, I'm exhibiting with the Wilton Gallery in uh, Sandy Cove in Dublin. Um, that's the Very only good. gallery I'm, I'm, I'm in Dublin. Um, and I deal with uh, Riley's over in Prosperous. Uh, they sell antiques, fine art. And I have the Kildare Gallery, uh, which are based at Carton. Um, Ken and Root there so like I've I've been dealing with them since they opened um, and you know I, a lot of my work at the minute is selling just directly online it sells uh, people ring up they come out to the studio where I view work uh, at a social distance obviously um, but I'm lucky that I can do that I set up uh, where you know there's three or four metres in the studio here at any one time where people can um, come and look at the work so like I'm lucky, Mark, in the sense that people come directly to me and the galleries that represent me, they, they, they use them as well, you know. And do you uh, do you do much international? Uh, do you have much international orders? Or did, did, you, did you do much in the UK? I'd imagine the horse scene is uh, big. Yeah, is big yeah I suppose. The, the, in the last couple of years, I've, I've been accepted into Cheltenham as the, one of the artists uh, who exhibits in Cheltenham. Um, you know, I've been applying to get into Cheltenham for years and years and years. And two years ago, I was accepted um, to get into Cheltenham and exhibit in the shopping village, which is, it's a huge place because, you've, you know, you have 70,000 people a day at the Cheltenham Festival. And I always saw that as a, a place where I could really launch uh, a lot of my work. And it's a huge show for me every year. This year, I was really lucky. Um, I had uh, a very good show. Um, and I, I do a lot of work specifically for that show. So I target certain shows in Cheltenham and Punchestown are two huge shows that I do every year. Um, this year is totally different. Um, I was lucky that I got to Cheltenham, but I didn't get to do Punchestown, which uh, was a disappointment because that's a fantastic show every year and it's a really happy, vibrant place to be, you know. So you just have to adapt again. It's mm. You got to find a new way to sell your work. The inter, you know, international clients. I have. I'm very lucky. I have a lot of clients in the UK. I have clients in America, uh, Germany, Australia, who are into racehorses, and I do their work. So I'm lucky from that point of view. I'm. I get commissioned a lot from the UK and Ireland. Ireland people in Ireland are fantastic. 
people in the race horse industry in Ireland are absolutely fantastic. They've been a massive support to me. And, you know, if there's anyone listening there, I want to thank them now because they've supported me right now since, you know, February, March, April, May, when things were tough for a lot of artists. Um, the guys in horse racing um, in Ireland supported me and um, continue to support me. So it's, I'm, I'm blessed, you know, and I'm very grateful for everyone who's bought paintings off me lately, you know. Very good. They're a passionate bunch, I'd say. Absolutely. Very, <laughs> very much so, yeah. Sorry, Luke, you were, you were saying there, you want to move into the, the quick fire round? Yeah, we usually do like a lightning round, although it's been such a, a mm. nice, a nice, easygoing conversation there. It doesn't seem right to, to, throw, <laughs> to throw in the, the lightning round here. I'll tell you what, Mark, what, what, you know. Good time to drink now, drink some water. Yeah, to get some, get some water there, John. Um, Mark, why don't you pick some questions off your list there that, you know, maybe, maybe some mm. thinkers rather than, you know. Yeah. Yeah, look, obviously me, me and John could talk about art all day, but um. <laughs> Uh, we'll do another podca- podcast after this, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> the art supplement. We'll do it every week. <laughs> um, now, here's an interesting one, because I, I think you, we chatted about this before. What time do you get up at in the morning and what time do you go to sleep? I get up. Um, I spent four years getting up at kind of a quarter to six until a quarter past six, solid five days a week. I now get up between six and a half, six. I've kind of taken it easy on myself a little bit. Okay. No, I, I tend to get up around quarter past half six now. Um, and what, is your, what does your morning routine look like? Is that of interest? Uh, morning routine, typically morning is get up around that six o'clock time if I can, quarter past six. Um, I do a bit of uh, qigong or yoga, stretching 15, 20 minutes. Every second day I'll go for a half an hour, 40 minute run. Um, I'll do... Uh, 15, 20 minutes of uh, just sitting with myself in the studio, bit of quiet music before I start. Um, and I'll have a list of five things um, that I have to get done. Um, I normally do that on a Sunday. I write down everything that has to be done for five days. And that's done 10 minutes on a Sunday, prioritize everything there. And then I set Monday morning. I finish work if I can um, at six o'clock maybe seven o'clock in the evening, but really six o'clock. And I take um, two breaks throughout the day, but I kind of start early. I don't have breakfast until half nine until the kids are gone to school. I have a couple of pints of warm water every morning and that's my routine. And I, I kind of train or, you know, at least every second or every third day, I will do a, a bit of a run or whatever, just different movement, you know? Mm-hmm. And then the, very important that I try and finish at half six, you know, if I can yeah. and just be fresh for the next day, you know, when I go to sleep, I'm not really disciplined with my sleep. I can go to sleep some evenings. I can be in bed for half 10 other evenings. I can get caught up. I could be up until maybe 11 o'clock, half 11, but I'm, I'm happy enough with kind of six hours. I can get by easy enough with six hours sleep. Once I get six hours, I'm kind of okay. Yeah. Same here. Um, Okay. How much money is enough money? Um, just enough money. What, whatever you need to get by, whatever you need, um, just so you're content and you have enough. What is enough? Enough. If you can have enough money that you can pay your bills, that you can get up every morning and have a smile on your face, and be grateful for what you have 
Um, I think there's more currency in kind of gratitude and happiness than there actually is in money. Money like comes, <laughs> money comes. I think, with having that stuff. If you have, if you're grateful for what you have, your family, your friends, the world around you, the people around you, uh, surround yourself with good people. Um, I think the money will come. If you're doing what you love in life and you're giving out work and you're doing fantastic work for people and people are really happy, that's a currency in itself, I think. I think that's an exchange. The money comes along with it. But I think it will always keep coming when you keep giving. I think that's the way I've discovered this universe is kind of working for me at the moment. Yeah, I think uh, the great man Matthew McConaughey once said, gratitude uh, reciprocates, I think he said. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think it's um, if you can, if you if you just try and be the best you you can be every day, I think you'll get rewarded in different ways. Money is one reward for me. Um, I've been so blessed in the last four or five years with the the career I've had, um, stuff I've done, meeting people I've never expected to meet, um, painting horses I've never expected I'd, I'd ever uh, be in a position to paint. But now I believe I can do it. Now I believe. I will get the work. Now I, I have a lot of belief in myself and I think um, a lot of good stuff. I've changed a lot of things in my life and, you know, if you like, that currency I've given out has given me currency back. Yeah, very good. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, is it who you know or is it what you know? <sighs> good question. We've had all it's, types of answers for this one, so <laughs> it's it's uh, is it is it who you know or what you know? It's both. I think it's both in equal measure. Yeah, you have to work the room yourself. You've got to work the room. You've got to be the one who's willing to get up and do the hard yards, and and you put yourself in positions with people you don't know. So you have to get uncomfortable. I think one thing, if I can give any advice, to anyone is get out of your comfort zone and get into positions where you do feel uncomfortable. You might feel embarrassed. You might feel odd. And then the what you knows kind of come along by getting yourself into a position where you meet people. Then it's the who you knows because you've got yourself into a position to meet somebody, maybe who's famous, maybe who's a famous artist or maybe who's a famous gallery curator or somebody that you need to know. But you have to get uncomfortable for yourself to kind of become the what you know, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it's no, a very good sense. question. <laughs> yeah, I think it's you've a very good I, question. And I think you, you've answered my last question, which is if you could advise somebody to learn one skill, what would it be? Oh. Aside from work in the room, because I think that's a good skill in itself mm. that, you, that you mentioned. To be present. Interesting. To be to be present. To listen to people when you know if somebody's talking to you, listen to them. If somebody's with you in a room, pay give them attention. Listen to them. Be present. Just I think we've we've lost this connectivity with each other where and maybe this the world in the last six months has taught us a little bit about what us three are doing here. We're sitting here, we're calm. It's just be present. And it's okay 
to be with yourself and it's okay you know to have the good days the bad days um don't I, I i used to be and i still am to a certain extent overthinker i overthink a lot of things but i've learned a lot to just be present to be in the moment to look at something in the sky and see it as something different or just to it's okay to look out the window for 10 minutes and daydream and you know what if what if but i think it's very important for people at the minute to to be present to be present to be present because i think we lost the ability a little bit um all of us to be present it's definitely one thing i've learned in the last six months is um because we've no control of this the only thing we can control is right now you know i said to a guy recently he was thinking of going away um and he wanted to see better things on the other side of the world and different things and i said to him everything you have is right under your nose and you didn't leave sometimes everything we have is literally under here and it's you know the breath coming out of your nose the presence of today feeling the air in your face whatever it is for anybody i think if we can learn to be present um, and sit with yourself a little bit i think you'll you'll get through the day a little bit better couldn't agree. I hope. couldn't agree more and it reminds me of uh, a quote that my mom my mama was says that mark you'd uh, probably heard this before as well because uh, i used to travel a lot when i was uh in my 20s i'd always be mm. maybe like your friend uh going to look mm. and see if there's something better on the other side of the world yeah and, uh my mom used to always say you know wherever you go there you are <laughs> so just like you can't yeah. get away from yourself so that, uh, that's brilliant yeah she was she was so right yeah so i don't know where you she know, got yeah. that or if she, it was an original quote but she said it a few times so shout out to, yeah. to geraldine it's, uh, it usually comes from uh forrest gump or somewhere like that yeah somewhere. absolutely yeah he's, he's some of the best quotes ever when, when you look at that film there's some of the best quotes ever come out of it yeah so john thank you, know? you so, thank you i'd like to thank you so much for coming along and having a chat with us today um it was it's great been a pleasure it's been fantastic yeah great time thanks, chat. John. like i said we'll put all the um all of the the website the socials all that type of stuff on the show notes as well so if anyone's listening to this and they want to learn a little bit more about john and john's work uh you can find that in the links below but thanks very much john we'll talk soon thanks, thanks guys take care thanks everyone bye